and welcome to Show and Tell, the podcast series from the RPG Academy, where we bring on a guest and we talk about something cool. Today's guest is Jim McClure, and today's something cool is his new podcast show, Talking Tabletop, as well as his companion show, Talking Tabletop, Heroes Dirt. Jim, welcome to the show. Thanks, Michael. Nice uh, nice sitting down talking with you again. It's, it seems like it's been forever, right? It does seem like it has been a long time. Uh, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Well, I, I think time time starts to work differently once you're on a, a show release schedule because, uh, yeah, not not used to doing the, uh, the two podcasts a week, so uh, time's starting to stretch out longer and longer and longer. Yeah, well, there's also been, uh, I believe there has been a Gen Con between the last time we've We've sat just chatted. It, it was weird because yeah, we were we were both at Gen Con and I saw you the first day, and then it was well, maybe he's in the sixty one thousand people <laughs> somewhere, but uh, paths did not cross after yeah, that. Yeah, we uh, we did the Twitter messaging. We were constantly telling each other where we were right. and what we were doing. They just never intersected anywhere. Uh, it, it's too big of a place. It's too big of a place, and that's actually where the, the birth of Talking Tabletop was because I was doing my interviews there. Yes. Uh, before we get to that, though, I do have to ask you about some recent news, just oh, because goodness. I always lovingly refer to you as that L5R guy, yeah. because that is, that is actually how you were introduced to me. And then on top of that, that is how I knew you for a short period of time, uh, because you were the guy who was going to DM, or GM, I should say, the L5R game we did with OneShot. So it was like, yeah, that one L5R guy, that's the guy who's doing <laughs> it. Uh, but anyway, so very recently it was announced that AEG was selling the inter- intellectual property of L5R, including all the properties, so the card game and the RPG and all that, to Fantasy Flight. You by far are the most passionate person I know about L5R, if not many things. How do you feel about that? Ah, uh, and and I've since the announcement I really haven't made a public statement as if a public statement for me means anything on the on this this massive corporate uh, thing, but um, a couple things because because it's you, Michael, and because it's the RPG Academy, I'll give you give you some of what I've been feeling, and I've announced this a little bit on my show, and as of the time of this recording, we actually finally have a date and time set up that I'm going to sit down with John Zinzer, who's the CEO of AEG, the man who just sold L5R, and we're going to have a conversation. And of course, if you've listened to Talking Tabletop, you know we get in kind of deep, and it's going to be a deep conversation. The my viewpoint though, to give you a little bit about it, I I as I don't believe these are apocalyptic times for L5R. I believe these are uncertain times for L5R. Because my main concern is not, oh, they're going to rework and make a fifth edition. It's not that they are going to completely redesign the card game. These are things that I expect to happen. And I can live with it. And certain things, I mean, a lot of people really like the Star Wars Edge of the Empire game that Fantasy Flight does. I personally would not like that mechanic done for L5R. I have bad news for you. <laughs> I know. I'm very concerned that they're they're definitely going to go somewhere similar in that direction. L5R as it stands is still a very old school tabletop game. You're rolling piles and piles of D10s and adding up all the numbers and having to do math up to like the 60s and 70s adding die. You know, it's it's has a lot of old school sensibilities to it. And I don't mind changing that and adapting it to the future. And the reality is no one's going to break into my house and steal all my fourth edition books when AEG puts theirs out. I have bad news for you. <laughs> uh, the, the Fantasy Flight Police are coming. Yes, they're, they're, they're going to change it. They're going to change it and take everything. No, my, my honest concern is, and I've said it over and over about L5R, 
L5R is not a set of mechanics. L5R, or I should say, L5R is a game that's not based on the set of mechanics. It is based on the culture and the story behind it. Legend of Five Rings, they do weekly fiction that comes out. They have a long, long-running history. They allow fan interaction that to determine the direction of the story. All of these aspects are things that have cost AEG money to produce that do not directly bring income back into their company. Now a new company has bought this and does not have perhaps the same love of 20 years of work going into it is the business decision. The story is done and we are going to put out something that allows people to play it and the story is going to die at that point. And that is my fear as far as it moving into Fantasy Flight games. If they continue the running story, if they continue allowing the fans to influence the direction of the story, little else they could do could upset me. Um, you know, aside from completely butchering the system, but they have a pretty good track record of putting out good material. So my concern is the meta story, which to me is what is special about L5R. So how does that in your mind compare to, for example, what they did with the Star Wars IP? Is that, you know, obviously they have a very popular Star Wars RPG right now that is based on the, the movies, which are canon. They are, you know, they've been out there for 20 years, similar to L5R but they allow you to take their game and play in that sandbox. And each table can say, you know, yeah, you can play Luke and we're going to destroy the Death Star. But more than likely, they're playing other characters outside the into the periphery of that main story. And sometimes you have these cool interactions that cross over. So do you think that would be something they could do where this main story still exists, it still happens, it's still moving forward, but your games are, in their mind, quote-unquote, periphery to that that you know you could intercede with it but you're not necessarily going to play those characters because that would then change the meta story the and i think that's exactly what they will do and to a degree it's what aeg is doing now um you know a lot of really what the game is set up to do is to do okay you are going to decide what time frame you're going to play in you know like our our l5r game that we played was the the aftermath of the the destroyer war and the ascension of empress awiko these are all story events that happened in the game with weekly fiction coming out every single week describing all of these events and when the destroyers brought down the great crab wall and the crab finally had to retreat from their own lands and all of these hard-hitting events occurred and we got to see it almost as serialized storytelling come out every single week and we set our game in the aftermath of that. We weren't on the wall, we weren't fighting the goddess Kali Ma, we were in this tiny little land dispute that happened after is sort of the aftermath. And I think all of that plays very well. My concern is much more of the, you know, L5R has always been a dynamic progressing story. At this point, they have written uh, what we're, we're at year, I think, uh, uh, 1203, I think is where we are in the canon right now. And there is literally events that happen every single year from 1100 to 1203. And I mean, books worth of events. And for the 1,100 years of recorded history before that, there is detailed events with characters and what happened and stories at every step of the way. Again, all of this takes time to make. All of this costs a company money to make. And there aren't 
tomes of L5R knowledge that you just buy. They put them out there for us. They allow the players to interact and, you know, adjust and influence how these things happen. Losing that would be losing a big piece of what L5R is if they go, because rightfully you could, you go, there is so much information, no player in their lifetime could play out every sing- a game in every single scenario. There's too much of it. Is there a need for more? Well, of course, I say yes. It's L5R. We got to keep growing this thing, man. We got to keep going with it. But from a solely business standpoint, because this was a business decision to sell it, at what point does Fantasy Flight Games go, we are going to continue to do this because of the love that's behind it? Or are we going to not do this anymore because it doesn't make sense? Sean Carmen, we actually had him on on the interview that we did with him for for your show. Um, he came on and said, you know, the card game is what makes money. We do the L five R because there's a passionate fa- or the RPG because there's a passionate fan base. Well, and that's very similar to how Hasbro and Watsi is with Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, if you look at it, Magic the Gathering makes them all of their money. You know, D&D, if, if it actually makes money, it's not a lot. And you can see that in how they've now outsourced to third parties the majority of the content that's being created. They, they put together the three source books, and then they very quickly cut the staff down to a very minimum number. And now they're outsourcing to Cobalt Press and Sasquatch Game Studios to actually create the modules. So, yeah, I can definitely see that as a viable business model because it's working on the other side. And it's true. It's true. Um, The difference is there's not a weekly fiction for Dungeons & Dragons. There's not big player events where I can get to decide what's going to happen in the future of Eberron. But there's there's surveys. Oh, sure, there's surveys. (laughs) Oh, I would like this thing to happen. Sure. No, I want in a game room this year at Gen Con was the 20th anniversary and they had a massive battle and determined, you know, what the outcome of Second City, the outpost outside of town. This was determined with a single card game with two people face to face fighting each other with a hundred people surrounding them, cheering and booing and everything as each card played because it determined it. That's the magic of L5R. That is, that's the game, man. And if that goes away, ah, that that's what will hurt. Not the, the game will always be there. I'll always be able to sit around a table and, you know, eventually when we do part 18 of L5R 20 years from now, we'll still be able to sit around and enjoy it. But if Rokugan dies and no longer is progressing forward, that's what would make me sad. All right. Well, at this point, we will be supposing uh, you're going to have the opportunity soon to get, you know, from the proverbial horse's mouth. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would like to think that if there is any person on this planet that is equally as passionate about L5R as you, it would be Zinzer. So I'm going to guess that he would not have sold the rights unless he was comfortable that they were going to handle it in a certain way. Not exactly maybe what AEG would do, but I don't think he would have sold it if they were going to bastardize it. So we will know soon enough, and we will be able to hear that on Talking Tabletop, which is actually what we're here to talk about. So as much I'm having a lot of fun with this conversation. You, you, you sucked me into an L5R interview. <laughs> now i got to talk about my show? What? Yeah, because I wanted people to listen to your passion that you have for L5R and kind of get an idea of the passion that you are bringing to Talking Tabletop, where you're getting in these really in-depth conversations. Like, you know, I do an interview show. I'm doing one right now with you. Talking about metagame. That's what these mics are for? Wow, okay. (laughs) Exactly. But, you know, most of our conversations are pretty high-level stuff. It's like, how you doing? What are you working on? You know, where, where did the inspiration for this come from? And I think that's 
fine. I enjoyed those shows, and hopefully the audience does as well. Yours is a little bit different, and I just want to talk about, like, we'll start over. I'll let you introduce what your show is, but I want you to talk about, you know, one, what is it, and two, why is it the way that it is versus just another RPG table talk show? Uh, yeah. Uh, well, of course, the, the show is Talking Tabletop, and you can find us TalkingTabletop.net. Do all the, the wonderful plugs. You all know how the internet works. You type in Talking Tabletop, and you find the show. I don't, don't think I need to go further than that, right? That's we, we're, we're listening to podcasts. We all know how this works. Um, the, the, the show is, I pitch it as a candid discussion about tabletop, and the, the format is it's me and one person sitting down, talking about tabletop. Uh, a lot of people have heard this before. There's two people, as Michael, you pointed out, who are doing it at this very moment. This very moment. This exact moment in time. It, it's it's happening. And that's the basic format. The why is where things get a little bit different. And that is, like you said, you know, you do a, a phenomenal interview show. You, you've clearly brought your, your quality up here with bringing me in today, right? Well, we all got to slum it every now and then. <laughs> I know. I look. I look at the list of people that you've had on, and I'm like, I'm the guy on the other side of the mics right now. Good lord! All I have is a rant about L5R, and that's my <laughs> one trick pony. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. We start off strong, <laughs> but uh, but what I wanted to do is I'm I'm obsessed with story, and I'm obsessed with people because I hold every single person has an interesting story to tell. And while I really enjoy the interview shows such as what what you put out for the RPG Academy, as I listen to everything, most of it is, okay, here is this person talking about their thing. This is, you know, you've got this this asshole Jim McClure who's coming on your show and he's talking about talking tabletop. And you're going to learn about talking tabletop. And that's great. And I get to learn about things. But in, to me, I need to create what doesn't, what I want and doesn't exist in my environment. And that is, I want to know about that person. Okay. Okay. It's great. Yeah. Uh, interview with John Zinzer. Okay. We're going to talk about the sale of L5R. Okay. That's, that's great. That's an interesting interview. Sure. But I want to know who John Zinzer is. I want to know why he is. I want to dissect him in every possible way. Michael of the RPG Academy. We can sit around and talk about the RPG Academy and the podcast and, and what you've done with it and all of the wonderful things. And at the end of the interview, I can know all about the RPG Academy. But what Talking Tabletop is trying to do is at the end of the interview, I want to know about Michael. And I want to know what got him here and the struggles, the successes, the failures, everything that brought Michael to the table. So at the end of the day, I can empathize with him more than I could an hour beforehand. And that's really the goal of the show. And essentially the why I created it was exactly what I said earlier. I don't have access to that anywhere else. I, you know, I really want to understand, especially within the world of game designers and podcasters and entertainers and just players. I mean, we're featuring people on the show that have done, I must say, nothing of noteworthy in the industry, not to, to downplay their importance, but they're just interesting people that I've met at conventions, at running games, and I go, I want to talk to you. I want to find out what got you to where you are today, and I can't get that anywhere else, so I made it. Um, and that was was kind of the thought process that went into Talking Tabletop. Well, and I will certainly thank you for your kind words towards my, my show. I, <laughs> jokingly, um, we did so little research when it came time to do our show. It was it was a lark. Like we had no idea what we were doing. We had no idea what we wanted to do or where it would eventually go. 
And I think that's part of the reason why if you've been with us for the whole time or if you're new and you go back and listen to our entire catalog, our show has changed quite dramatically from where it started. And part of that is that we were trying to figure out as we go what we wanted to do. Had I done the research, I would have found that there are dozens, if not hundreds of shows that do what I do. I like to think that we do it well, but... Well, there's there's nothing truly unique about what we do. Well, you, you, you took the, the hard approach, and I took the easy approach. You took the, okay, there's a bunch of other people out there. We're going to do it better. And to that, you've succeeded at. I, I took the easy approach, and I go, I'm going to do something that people can't compare it to. That way, I don't have well, to be better than someone. And, and that was the point I was going to get to, is that I listen to a lot of podcasts. And I'm, I'm sure there's still so many that I haven't found yet. But I do test out new podcasts all the time. I'm constantly looking for new stuff. And I agree, I have not seen within the realm of tabletop your type of show. Certainly in other, you know, types of environments, you might see a show that, you know, the Barbara Walters interview (laughs) with, you know, Oprah, but not necessarily in in most tabletop games are you going to get the interviewer or the interviewee or possibly both coming to tears talking about tabletop. I'm not saying that's happened, but listen to the episodes. So <laughs> we, we've gotten yeah, we got yeah. there. So I just want to say that I do find it fascinating what you're doing. So I've listened to every show that you've put out so far. Thank you. Uh, I do truly enjoy it. Like this is not just blowing smoke. I think it's awesome. I really like it. Uh, you've already gotten some reviews on iTunes, very very positive and people are talking about your interview style. So where did that come from? Like, obviously, like, you've had to, did you vet these questions? Like, are you, did you make up the first one, like, on the fly, and then you just kept doing the same questions? Or did you, like, how did you structure your questions to get what you wanted? Because you could easily do an interview attempting to get what you want and fail. You're not doing that, at least not yet. So I, I want to talk about the questions, where they came from, and, you know, like, like, whatever thought there is behind it. If there's not, that's fine. It's working. But where did that come from? Uh, no, and if you, you've known me for long enough, Michael, to know there is a, a dedicated thought behind almost everything that I do. It comes from, I guess, the GM style in May. Yeah, the the, the dirty secret is everything is very, I'm going to say cold and calculating, actually, um, in, in how I approach everything. And is that a weird thing to say? It's cold and calculating to get to the deep seat of emotions. Um, Sounds like Spock to me. The Yeah, it, it, it hits some weird, heavy areas of, I'm going to go into this with a cold, calculating way to dissect all of your emotions and lay them open bare. That's not weird. That's not villainous, right? I have bad news for you. Uh, <laughs> oh, God, that's creepy to say. But uh, the it started... I was looking for a while to get into podcasting. I had done a couple things actually with the GM Academy on Roll20, and I still highly encourage you all to go check that out. I did mostly information and GM advice stuff for them. And again, go check it out. I think it's phenomenal advice. The audio quality is god awful. Um, anyone looking into podcasting, and actually, I highly recommend it. I go play around with stuff for six months to a year. It's going to take you that long just to figure out the basics, and I'm still figuring stuff out. But so I, I'd taken a hiatus from them, and I knew kind of actually after we did the L5R game and listening to your show and listening to some of the other shows that are out there. It made me, I was like, ah, I want to get back into this. I mean, there is something something to be said about being in front, in the public. There's a certain appeal to it. I'm not going to lie. Um, it, it's fun. It's entertaining. It gets me talking. 
So I kept thinking about what kind of show that I wanted, and I did, like I said earlier, what I always do, I look for what I couldn't find somewhere else. I go, what's the thing that I want to find? And it was listening to a few interviews on someone else's show. I literally got done with the interview, and I, I won't name the show for, for sake of being nice, Um but I got done the interview, and I went, and I had to struggle through it. It was someone I was interested in listening to, but it was boring, and I started doing what I do anytime I run a bad game session. I start dissecting. I go, why was it boring? And the answer was simple. They were talking about their product. And I already knew their product. And I don't give a damn about the product. Yeah, there was one or two interesting behind-the-scenes stories. But I didn't really care that much. And that was all that they were talking about. I wanted to know more about the man that went into making the product. And that's when I went, okay, where can I find this guy talking about him? And I searched, and I searched, and I searched, and I searched, and I turned up nothing. So I went, there's the show. So how do we achieve that? How do I get people openly talking about themselves? And th the reality was that the key, which should have been obvious to me from the beginning, did not reveal itself until one of the interviews I did for your show um, with John Wick. And, oh, God, now I'm going to remember. Is it John Wick or Sean Carmen? God, I can't remember which one this happened. I'll have to go back and listen to the interviews and find out. But they, to me, were a little bit stale all the way into the point that I told the story of how I got into L5R. And then suddenly they were opened up. And it clicked in my mind, no one's going to be open with me on the mics unless I am equally open with them. And that was the first key. It was, if I want them to be emotionally vulnerable... I have to be emotionally vulnerable. I have to put myself out there. I have to put out my my fears, my hopes, my dreams, my stories, my my funny ones, my embarrassing ones. I have to put that out in the world because why are you going to open up to me if I'm not going to offer you the same courtesy? So that was the thing that stuck to me as I go, okay, that is key into how I do that. So if I'm going to look at myself, I need to figure out um, what questions put me most uncomfortable. And this led to, I've got sort of three questions that I ask just about every interviewer. One is our, our nice break the ice question, um, which is, you know, I, I kind of want, I love origin stories. I always kind of have. I think that's me sort too, of. Me too, actually. <laughs> I still think the original Raimi Spider-Man is the best Spider-Man because it's the origin story. And the first Lord of the Rings movie is the best Lord of the Rings movie because it's the origin story. Uh, I, I agree with you on Lord of the Rings. I don't necessarily disagree with you, but, oh, I shouldn't say this on the mics. I'm a Spider-Man hater. I'm not. Oh! Oh, yeah, he's so angsty. Oh. I can't. Oh, but uh, but but you all can hate me from afar for yeah. that. But I I'm on the record as well. I really enjoy origin stories. I think they are often the best part, which is another reason why I love Stephen King because he makes great origin stories. Yeah. His endings, no. Yeah, yeah, and I'm of course a huge fellow Stephen King fan. I'm still working through Dark Tower for whatever disappointing ending I'll what, get from that. What book did you? Or are you on? I'm still on book three. I'm almost oh, done. Well, I'm on book three. You have so much further to go. Oh yes, I do. Yes, yeah. I do. But so that led to the question. I go. I didn't just want to ask people what was your first play experience because that was a boring question. So I go. Let's style it up a little bit and let's make it have everyone tell me the story as they are a GM telling the story of their first tabletop experience. Experience. You know, I, I've got a good one for whenever I eventually say that, but it won't be on this show today. Sorry, so don't even ask, Michael. Um, but but one day I will. So that led to that opening question. And then one of the other one, the, the heavy, there's two heavy hitting questions at the end of the interview, um, which are, you know, what do you, 
expect your last ever, or what do you want your last ever tabletop experience to be? And every time I ask that question, I mean, you can feel the weight hang in the air from it because suddenly we have had an open, candid discussion and it's, it's a progress. It's, we are going to work through an interview. We normally start off lighthearted and then we slowly work into more serious and more serious topics. And suddenly they have been recounting all of their, their biggest events in tabletop. And now they are confronted with, there's an end point. This story comes to an end. And what do you want that last chapter to be? And it's something, I don't know, again, maybe more of my morbidity is coming out here. It's something that I think about, um, you know, for what I want that that final, you know, moment in tabletop to be of something that has defined a large part of who I consider myself. And I want to know that. And no one asked that question because it is an uncomfortable question to ask. And it is an uncomfortable question to answer because there's no way not to answer that question honestly. You have to. I mean, there's nothing you can do. It's I'm confronted with an answer. No, you can, but it'll be very obvious and clear <laughs> to the listener if you take that route. Yeah, but when I'm dead silent on the other side of the mics after dropping that bombshell, they're just like they can. I guarantee. I and I'm sure because you know, just presenting the question, it feels like there's a thousand eyes just looking on them, going. What you gonna say? What you gonna say? And whew, it's uh, I, I'd, I'd hate to be on the other end of that. That'd be terrible. <laughs> but then, then we we lighten it up with the one final question, which is, what has been your your pinnacle moment in tabletop? And that was actually another one that was inspired by the interview that we did with John Wick, where he talks about his absolute pinnacle moment in tabletop, which I will not ruin. I highly encourage you all to go watch that uh, in interview here on the RPG Academy, because at least I had a lot of fun with it. So that was the the genesis of those questions. And everything else I do is sort of the thought process of I am building to an emotional state where those questions are relevant at our time in the discussion. And again, for, for my inexperienced viewpoint, it's worked very well. I have thoroughly enjoyed. You're the professional here. I'm say inexperienced. Good Lord. You're the professional here. <laughs> oh, we are in trouble, my friend. <laughs> I have some bad news for you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but one thing I think you've done that, that makes a lot of sense is that you have so far, at least in the episodes that have been released, tapped podcasting personalities. These are people who, like, like me and you, that will put ourselves on microphone. We like to talk. Those are people who are going to talk and are going to be forthcoming, and I think they are going to be more open to those types of conversations. So what are some people that are coming up? Maybe you've already done, but hasn't been released or like, what's your wish list for some people you want to get on your show? <laughs> the it, it's honestly, it, it's hard to give a wish list because I've been surprised so many times. Um, you know, I d just like any performer and, and again, I'd like, like to be open in front of people. There have been shows that I don't think are as good on the content side because people didn't open up because I didn't, all failings I always point to myself, whether that's a good mental state to be in or not. But I go, I did not get them to the mental state that they should be in. And I failed as an interview in that regard. And I've had some of those from podcasting personalities. And I have had some, you know, amazing interviews from people. We have one coming up um, with this uh, woman, Darcy Ross, who is just amazing. Well, t time gets weird to say in podcasts. I won't say when the episode's coming out, but it'll probably be out by the time that this comes out where she's not done any podcasting. Um, she's not done her own show. She's not a game developer. She's just a GM. And I met her. She ran Numenera for me at Gen Con, and I went, I've got to sit down and interview with her. And it was 
fantastic and I love it. And then there's been other ones that aren't. So it's kind of weird saying a wish list because in my personal wish list, well, I've already interviewed both of them for your show. It's John Wick and Sean Carmen. Um, You're welcome. <laughs> you're, Michael, making dreams come true. <laughs> I've said it before. <laughs> I jokingly, but and it's 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 so true. It hurts sometimes. Is that the RPG Academy helping you find better shows than ours for three years <laughs> running? Oh, that's so not true. <laughs> so not true. So I do like to think that talking tabletop, and and I and I've talked to you off off mic for a while mm-hmm. like I knew this was coming but I do like to think that maybe you being on my show interviewing John and Sean helped a little maybe it what well, you've already heard me lay it out there it, it did there's a lot in the format that I did not get until I had sat down and done those interviews because I knew what I wanted to do going into those interviews now doing them that was not the thought process it was high energy L5R you know as well as of course game design storytelling but then when I saw it click of if I open up a little bit, they open up too. That's the way to get what I want to get out of an interview. You know, and again, that moment that, that John Wick said that I keep teasing of his favorite moment, I went, that's what I want to listen to. I personally want to hear an hour of those type stories from everyone I talk to. That's it. That's what I want out of life. Um, <laughs> and and that was, you know, that, that did open the door. So a- absolutely, that is, is is a hat tip to you, sir, uh, and, and the RPG Academy, because it, it most certainly wouldn't have happened without you. And, of course, we're part of the wonderful RPG Academy network. You're nice enough to have us in. Yeah, you know, I was going to mention that at some point, but uh, <laughs> but yet that uh, if anyone isn't aware, we do have an, a ca- uh, network that we've put together, which is basically just a loose affiliation of shows. We There's no profit sharing. There's no, there's nothing like that that goes on with our network. It's just basically saying, this is a show that I like. And if you like us, you'll probably like them. And hopefully that's reciprocal that if you listen to them first, you're like, oh, I like this show. They're on a network. I should check out the other shows. Yep. And all, all the shows on your network are, are phenomenal. That's what I was like. Oh, I get to be part of this. Like I was, <laughs> I was so excited because I'm like, I'm going to put out something that's weird and different. And honestly, I had the thought before the first episode go out, I go, I think a dozen people are going to like this show. And that's going to be my audience is I'm going to have 12 to 15 listeners every single week. And that's, that's going to be it because who, who the hell would listen to this? It's, well, it's not uplifting at times. A lot of times it's on the other end. Well, I think it, it's, Funny is the word I'll use here, but when you and I were discussing your show before it before it aired and talking mm-hmm. about the network, you said, you know, your motto is if you're having fun, you're doing it right. And that's one of the things that I said is is kind of one of the requirements to be on the network is you have to at least embrace that idea somewhat. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be exactly, but I you know, I'm not interested in addition wars or flame wars. I don't want people that are uh, exclusive that, you know, if you don't have this, this and this, you can't come to my table type of thing. And you you hesitated just slightly in like, I'm not sure if my show fits that brand very well. It, you know, some of the advice you give is sort of counterintuitive to the advice that we give on our show. I don't think it's wrong. It's just, it's a different mindset. But I think the big secret to our motto is that if you're having fun, you're doing it right, is that that means something different to everyone who listens to it. Yep. It's not a universal viewpoint. It's if you are having fun, you are doing it right. And you is you and your table, which I do include the table there. It doesn't just one person. If the DM's having fun, everybody else hates it. Your game's going to fall apart. So I think that your show does fit that motto because you are getting some very um, interesting and deep conversations that are enjoyable to listen to. 
The uh, and, and to give give the listeners just an idea of kind of what and to give you an idea of what I was talking about, um, b- because you're right, I I do hesitate at that phrase. I think it's a wonderful phrase. I think it is a good thing to put out in the world. I personally, it's why I don't do uh, GM and RPG advice shows anymore because I have incredibly strong opinions on the correct way to run a game and the having it fun, doing it right motto and a lot of the the common knowledge of it is, or I should say the modern knowledge of it is, there's not a correct way to run a game. And again, I like to be open and honest with people. I have a different opinion. Um, Now, again, I will say I like to run a certain type of game, and I think there's a correct way to run the type of game that I want to run. Not saying that that is the type of game that should always be ran, but there are skills, there are tools. There's there's no other form of art where everyone just goes, yeah. If you uh, you know, if, if you're a painter, okay, whatever you put on the paint or whatever you put on the canvas is good. Yep, absolutely, it's perfect, it's fine. As long as you enjoyed it, it was good. Uh, no, there's art schools that teach you techniques and teach you ways to do it and help you get better at doing it. And that was my hesitancy. And again, I don't talk about that that often because I understand that is a very controversial opinion to say. And overall, the advice, if you're having fun, you're doing it right, should be the core basic advice that people come into this hobby with. That I completely agree with. I think it gets a little dangerous once you get more experience, though. Well, and, that, and, and that's where, where my caveat. But I, I want to give one example from, from sure. my show specifically for, for you give me too many counterpoints to it. No, I'm not going to And we go a complete different direction with this conversation. But um, I recently have uh, – th- this show probably will not have aired by the time this comes out, but I'll give a, a, a mind spoiler to it. Uh, we had P.K. Sullivan on the show, who's a game designer that wrote for the Firefly RPG. And one of the things that I started with the conversation with him, I told him, you know, when I first read the Firefly RPG, after I watched the show, which was only like a year ago, because I put off, that's a whole other story, watching Firefly Forever. And then I watched it, and every one of you was right. The show is amazing. It is. I didn't want to think it was, but it's phenomenal. So I bought the RPG. I ran it for Margaret Rice Productions, and P.K. Sullivan wrote uh, wrote for the, the game. So I had him on the show. And one of the things I told him, I go, when I first read through that book, and looked at all of the mechanics and how it played, I I didn't like it. I thought it was clunky. I thought it was unintuitive. I didn't like that game. Now, this conversation goes on from there, which you'll have to watch Talking Tabletop when it comes out, but that was some of the stuff that I was a little bit concerned with just to give the audience of, I'm going to be open and honest, and if I don't like something, I'm going to tell someone directly to them, I didn't like this thing you did. I thought it was bad. I thought it wasn't good. I thought it could have been better, and that's sort of some of the open, honest, frank discussion that, again, I can't cheat it if I want open honesty back from them, and that was was some of the concerns I had because you do tout the motto so much. Well, and the only only counterpoint I will offer is that uh, we do view our show as introductory advice. Mm-hmm. We are not providing a master class level advice show. There are times where I think we get a little bit more complex and more advanced, but for the most part, our show is aimed at people who have not played before, and we want to demystify what that is. And then for people who are thinking about becoming DMs or GMs for the first time. And uh, the number one thing that I see people get caught up on is that I don't know all the rules. How can I run a game? So that's our motto is focused on your first game. If you're having fun, nothing else matters. But I do agree that over time you should get better. Just an art's a great example that, you know, if I was a nine-year-old and I'm painting a picture that looks like a 
Cthulhu monster and it's supposed to be mommy and daddy, I'm going to say, oh, that's so good. I love that. <laughs> but in my head, I hope that by the time you're 17 that you can actually draw a Cthulhu monster. And that, that mommy and daddy no longer look like Cthulhu, hopefully. <laughs> hopefully. But that's more me than him. But anyways. Uh, but that's the point is that, you know, I, I completely agree that there are techniques that work. There are advanced techniques. There are right ways to do things to get a certain result depending on what your result you're going for. But for your first ever game, just try to have people have fun because the goal is that you want them to have fun, they come back. And then you can tweak a little bit and then they come back and then you can tweak a little bit. And then before you know it, you have a, a table full of weeping people because you have killed their favorite NPC. Uh, not that I've ever done that. <laughs> and that is that to me, that's the ultimate goal. Cause, and, and I, I definitely appreciate that and agree a hundred percent of if you are just starting out in tabletop, that should be your motto. And I don't mean just starting. I mean, for at least a good year, if not two, three, four, five years, your goal should be to have fun. That's that's what it is. And then you hit a certain point, and then you get my my heavy, heavy concepts that come out of, okay, you're, you're doing great. It's awesome. Let's start elevating this thing that I consider art to a high level of art form. And unfortunately, when I start giving tabletop advice, I look at things too much from that perspective. I can't uh, dismarry myself, which I don't think is a word. Um, divorce. Divorce. <laughs> That would probably be the more more, more common definition. Yeah, you know, I think dismarry sounds better, but I'm pretty sure divorce is what you're going I'm, for. I'm, I'm sticking with it. You can't dismarry yourself from. <laughs> I can't dismarry you, Michael. You can't. Dis... Well, well, actually, it's legal now. <laughs> oh, I don't even remember what I was talking about. I can't dismarry myself from the the experience that I've had, and it's hard for me to step back into the beginner shoes. And that's why, because honestly, my passion is giving tabletop advice. That's like, if it was my open world, eh, that's the game, I, or that's the show I would be running. Um, but the other thing is, there's tons of those shows around. Um, and there's tons of those shows that are a lot better than what I could put out around. Uh, this one included. Um, so, you know, that that was so, sort of the genesis and the thought, and again, everything behind my my slight hesitation that I brought up to you about joining the Academy, but uh, you all have been wonderful and open and friendly, and all the members of the Academy are awesome. Yes, uh, and thank you very much for joining us. We, we consider that a win as well. Uh, before we go too much further, though, I want to take a side step here to talk about your companion show, the Talking Tabletop Hero's Journey, because uh, I'm a huge fan of the Hero's Journey. So what exactly is this show, and how does it differ from your main show? Okay, and this is this is our companion show that comes out weekly as well. Um, and this is what I'm going to call a temporary show. This is not a show that's going to go from now until forever. This show has an expiration date. But what the Hero's Journey is, it's actually to solve the exact problem I just mentioned. Great segue, Michael. You know the, the the one thing that makes great segues worse, calling them out. Yes, yeah. yeah. yeah that's actually, the only way to stop a great segue is, is to, to call it. Yeah, to call great it segue out. by yeah. the way. Isn't yeah. it like a, a quantum quandary that if you look at a quark, it, right. it reacts differently? Exactly. When you look at a segue, it stops segueing. <laughs> stop, stop, stop segue. Uh, but anyway, the the uh, the show is to solve the problem of exactly what I said. I can't dismarry myself from. Uh, my experience level. I, I'm not as a person capable of doing that. Other people are. I'm not. 
So I wanted to be able to put out something that new players could enjoy. And, you know, there is the traditional advice piece of, you know, okay, here are things to do. But again, I can't get away from, okay, here's your first step. You're going to learn the three-act structure. And you're going to learn how it works. And you're going to learn how to make seven different NPCs. And you're going to learn the eight steps to building a plot. And you're going to learn how to infuse the eight kinds of fun in there. And at this point, someone's looking at me like, how does, when do I roll a D20 and when do I roll something else? And I'm going, hmm, you don't need to be listening to me. So the idea of the show was to make something a lot more approachable in that regard. And what we're actually doing is, um, we have this lady, Emily, who has been a tabletop player for a good four or five years, I think, but she's never once GM. She has always been a player. And we know there's a lot of people like that. And she's finally decided to make a step into being a GM for the very first time. So this show is much more of a chronicling the process of her starting to run her first game. So it's a lot more short format. We're doing about 20 minutes every week where we get on the mics and we talk about what she's working on step by step to get the show ready or uh, get the game ready to play. And then ultimately we're going to chronicle her first play experience with her group of people. And then I sort of try and help her and point her in the right direction at times. So what happens is, and as she gets increasingly frustrated with it because I make them increasingly more difficult, I give her homework every single week to come back next week with. So like the first show, it was just basic concept. And at this point, we've had three episodes come out. What... Um, you know, what what, uh, what what her experience has been, what game system she's going to run, the basic story that she's thinking of doing. And that was great. And in the second episode, we focused on, okay, what's going to be your very first scene that the players are going to interact with? And then she had to start working through that in her mind. And then the next episode was, what are the NPCs that are going to be in your story? So she had to really hunker down, and that was actually a big challenge for her, was writing NPCs and getting through that. And then the next one is going, the next episode, which at this time of recording is not out yet, but will be, is going to be on the rules mechanics. She has to, I'm actually going to test her, essentially we're going to do a little role play event where I'm going to test her as a player asking her mechanics of, okay, wait, I'm trying to do this in combat. How do I do that? And part of what the challenge is going to be that's going to get pointed out is not only there's the knowing the role component, but what do you do when you don't know the rules and how do you handle that? Because that is a real big part of starting out GMing. You know, we talk, talk about, of course, I'm a, I'm a fan of L5R and I couldn't be more happy that, in fact, she has chosen to run L5R, even though I've advised her not to because I don't think it's a good beginner's RPG. I would agree with that. Yes. It's another argument that, that me, me, you, and James D'Amato all have, but uh, that's I actually agree with for the most part is it's not a beginner-friendly RPG, but it's what she's familiar with and what she wants to run. Passion goes a long way, and clearly she wanted that to be her first game, so I would not have dissuaded her. Exactly. I, I gave her the, the, the piece of advice of it's not a beginner's RPG, not saying you can't run it for beginners. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. So, But what I was going to say with L5R is there's rules that I still have to look up after playing it for years and years and years. You know, There's odd stuff that comes up every now and then that that's, oh, what's that? And part of being a GM is being able to handle what to do when you don't know the rules. So that's one of the things that we're going to be focusing on with the next episode, as well as her basic level of knowledge. So we're just kind of going step by step and just opening up the process and going, here's an actual person. This isn't a staged event. This isn't, you know, a, a podcast. Or this isn't someone with, with years and years of experience recounting what they did in the past days. Here's someone that is actively living it. We are recording it each week. So you're hearing the 
recording it normally a day or two after we recorded. It. It's not all pre-set up and done that they can, you know, experience along with her exactly what's going on. And the hopes is once this is done, and I think it's going to end up being about a 12 to 14 week project, and then it will be done and concluded because we're going to go through her first two play sessions, I believe. So we're going to go all the way through her first play session, and then we're going to do a couple shows in between play sessions of what she learned and all that, and then how she applied that to her second play session. And then we'll do an outro show, and that will be pretty much the the, the conclusion of Hero's journey. The one thing I would throw in there um, as a completionist Mm -hmm. is maybe a year from now, bring her back and say, okay, now that you've had a year's experience under your belt, how do you feel those first parts went? And and that's why you're the professional, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Had not even considered that. You throw it out there and I go, yeah, he's completely right. And I am so going to steal credit for that on my show. <laughs> it's exactly what's going to happen. So hopefully no one listens to this interview, right? <laughs> no one does. <laughs> no one does. But uh, that, that's the idea of the show. And, and when there's a finished product that's out, hopefully it will be a resource that people can use of, I want to run my first game. How do I even start this thing? I can listen along and pretty much follow step by step. This is what a new GM did. Not that everyone's going to have their own process, but this is what this person did open and bare for me to see of how they created their story and how they put everything together. And a couple things I wanted to, to call out because I've listened to all those episodes as well. Thank you. Um, they're really good. Is uh, one, I, I found it very funny when you talked about NPC. She, her first question was, Well, how do I roll them? Yep. I'm like, You, you don't, <laughs> unless you think they're going to fight. But, but it actually has helped me kind of constantly reevaluate, you know, what I'm trying to do with my show. And I am, I'm very much the guy on my show who says, Don't worry about the rules. Mm-hmm. You know, the rules are secondary to telling a good story. You can have fun. But listening to her and and hearing the hesitation in her voice, I can see where it's because I've been doing this so long. It's easy for me to say, "Don't worry about the rules," because I know the rules, or at you, least you can't dismarry yourself. I cannot dismarry myself from from my experience that someone who doesn't know the rules yet can't easily let go of the rules yep. because they are they they don't know what they can and can't do, and it's it's even helped me. Even though that wasn't the point, <laughs> I was like, you know, maybe I should approach that a little bit differently hmm. when I'm talking about trying to, you know, not worry so much about the rules. It's just easy to do when you know them well enough to know what you're doing. When you say that's a rule that doesn't really matter if you don't know the rules and you don't know that yet. Uh, so it's actually kind of given me some thought about how I could change up my advice to make it more applicable as well. Well, so, look at that. So I do think it's a great show and I do hope people listen to it as well. Well, th- well, thank you. And uh, I mean, so far, I think it's it's gone. You know, it's gone very well. It, it's opening up the process, and you know, like you said, even from from my standpoint, there's things that you know. Again, I can't I can't be in that headspace for a while. I thought I could be in that headspace, and I thought I could you know approach and give advice from a new. And then it, it took me a while to realize, okay, you don't just intuitively know it. When I'm, I'm talking to Emily, you don't intuitively know what goes into a first act. To me, it, it's been so intuitive for so long, I go, well, clearly it's the information act. You know, even someone who doesn't know the three act structure should know everything at this point is just to provide information from the story because I can't remember what it's like as much as I think and want to believe I can remember what it's like to be a new GM. I can't. 
Uh, and that's what what this show will hopefully you know put out there for everyone. Uh, if you're not sure what the three act structure is, watch the original Star Wars trilogy. <laughs> Each movie is one act of a three act structure. Actually, it's done masterfully well because each movie has three acts and in and of itself is an act, which is, to me, the way storytelling should be done because there is a correct way. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. All right. Well, I have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation here today. Is there anything that I didn't ask about that you would like to talk about or or to plug about your show before we wrap this up? Um, no, I mean, just, uh, you know, as I, I tell everyone at the, the end of the show, you know, there's not, to me, there's nothing more valuable you can give me than an hour of your time. Um, there's, that's it. If you're willing to come on and listen to the show and experience it, it helps me provide more and more experiences to people. So the only thing I ask is come on and listen. Um, if, if you think it's something that you like, great. If not, I completely get it. And you're a terrible, terrible person for not enjoying what is an emotional expression. Yeah. Clearly it's, it's wrong. Yes. they are wrong, not you are wrong. Exactly. If if you don't listen to the show, you are stomping on the hearts and emotions of everyone that has been on the show. So if you can live with that, by all means, live with it. Go about your life, no problem. If you're a good human being, though, I recommend listening to the show. Excellent. And where again can they find that show? And of course, they can find it on TalkingTabletop.net is our website where they can come and check out everything. We have both the feeds for um, Talking Tabletop and for Hero's Journey. Of course, we're on all the major podcasting, iTunes and and Stitcher and all of the ones that I don't know about because I have someone that actually knows how all that stuff works. That is not me. But, so uh, your podcatcher of, co- of choice should have it on there. Your That would be the way a professional would say it, yes. That. Yeah. Close enough. <laughs> All right. And then um, inter- interacting with you, Twitter. Is it yeah, th- um, for for Twitter, that's probably where I'm most active on, which is uh, GM Jim McClure. That's M C C L U R E, and I'm very active on Twitter. I pretty much check it all the time. I've only checked it two or three times during this interview. Um, <laughs> so I'm I'm pretty active on Twitter. That's the best way to reach out to me, as well as you can email me at Jim at talkingtabletop.net. If you're listening to this and go, hey, I've got an interesting story to tell and I'd like to be on the show. Again, like I said earlier, I have no wish list of people other than people that have no problem expressing their openly emotional self and telling stories. And access to a microphone. And access to a good sounding microphone or you're in close driving distance of Cincinnati, Ohio. Excellent. All right. Well, Jim, thank you so very much for being on uh, Show and Tell. I appreciate it. Seriously, guys, check out the show. It is phenomenal. It is very, very awesome. Both versions are great. I look forward to every episode. Uh, And then also, if you're not aware, there's this thing called a catacon that's going to be happening here in a couple months, which it scares me. It's only a couple months away. But Jim will be at a catacon. You will be running and participating in some events. I know we've talked about that before, but do you want to quickly tease anything you're going to do at a catacon? Yeah, sure. Um, Because I am stupidly excited for a catacon. Uh, Michael knows this. I am. I don't have quite your level of enthusiasm because I don't think any other human being can. Uh, <laughs> it's really difficult to match. But I, I've said it before. I'm more excited for Catacon than I was for Gen Con. Because yeah, I'm going to be doing a lot of things. Uh, one of the big things, though, I am actually ending up with a super tight schedule for it because I'm going to have my microphones there and I'm going to be recording a lot of episodes of the show because there's going to be <laughs> awesome, interesting people there. But as far as what we are doing uh, to kick off the show, which won't actually be at a catacomb, but I still have to plug it because I think we are doing, again, not not part of the show that the audience can participate to, but something that we will be excited about. And I'm 
sure talking about it throughout the weekend is we are doing part two of the L5R campaign with all of the original cast plus Cat Murphy, um, who was supposed to be on the original cast. Okay, cool. I, oh, I did that in the interview, <laughs> yeah, too. Yeah, right off the bat. Ah, right off the bat. Oh, Damn it. Damn it. I'll never get it. I'll never get it. I'm going to start calling her something completely else. But anyway. Just cat. Make just, her, she's like Cher. She's just cat. Yeah. <laughs> she's just cat. Um, but anyway, so we're going to do the, the L5R episode part two, which will be awesome. Um, I've got, I think I'm going to be running three separate games there, two of which are games no one's ever seen before, which is really exciting and nerve-wracking for me. Um, The one game people have seen before is I'm going to be running uh, a Firefly game uh, for the Firefly RPG, which I talked crap about earlier in this interview. But uh, as as from the sound of it, you can tell I most certainly came around to liking the system to the point of it's going to be one of my favorite con systems to run. So I'll be running a Firefly game. I am going to be doing a WWE-style professional wrestling game, uh, and we're actually going to do this. This is a game of my own creation that I've been playing for years and years and years, and I'm going to bring it out for some people to interact with, and we're actually going to do a tournament with a championship belt on the line, and it should be ridiculous over-the-top fun, so I'm excited <laughs> for that. And then we're going to do a play test of a new game that I've been working on, which is similar to, uh, has a very similar play style to a... Shadow of Colossus or Monster Hunter or Attack on Titan, for anyone who's familiar with any of those three properties, of you are a team of small people trying to bring down giant, giant beasts. And it is big, massive boss fights where it is half combat, half puzzle solving to actually bring down these beasts. So this is going to be the first ever public playtest of, and I, I think we have actually an official name of it, which is Reach of Titan. Um, so this will be the, the, the first playtest of Reach of Titan will, will happen there as well. And then I'll be trying to get into any games that are floating around too so i love to play as well awesome well thank you again jim for all that you've done for your show for our show and for catacon and uh i guess i will see you at a catacon (laughs) thank you michael thank you sir Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out therpgacademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the DriveThruRPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media, such as Facebook and Google+, 
at the RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, the Caleb G, at the Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at the RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right. <laughs>